0: Everybody, it's the MPG Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Josh Mosler. This week I got Nate Hershberg. What's
1: up, man? What's going on, buddy?
0: How you doing? Good, man. For uh most of my audience, they might not know Nate's a big time residential investor out of Charleston, uh, and the first one from outside of Savannah, man. So, man,
1: I told you I'm either gonna ruin your show, or it's gonna break in a new audience. <laughs> so I'm hoping for the latter. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm sure you'll do great. um Thanks for coming down.
1: Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me. It was a short trip, so two hours and explore the city while we're here
0: have you guys ever have you been to Savannah before
1: I have never been to Savannah really never been no I've always wanted to get down here I've been to Hilton Head never Savannah though
0: everybody makes yeah. it to that Hilton Head line and they stop and they stop it yeah right. <laughs> it's really
1: not that much further like maybe 15 20 minutes yeah. from Charleston anyway yeah so it's just a different direction
0: yeah Um, are you from are you from Charleston
1: no so I was born and raised uh, born and raised in the middle of nowhere northern Virginia grew okay. up on a 300 acre cattle farm uh, was a farmer knew really quickly growing up I did not want to be a farmer I was like this sucks um, and then went into military came back lived in uh, lived in Virginia for a while moved to Miami Florida that's where I actually got into real estate fixing and, and uh, flipping and wholesaling why Miami a really bad reason I was just like I'm tired it was in the middle of a snowstorm I was like I'm tired of the winter I'm tired of the cold Where's the furthest I can go and afford? I couldn't afford to go to Key West <laughs> at the time, but I could afford Miami. I was like, yep, I'm moving to Miami. Never had been there. Dude, never had been there. Moved there on a whim uh, to my, to no surprise. Didn't really enjoy it. I grew up in a one stoplight town, moved from there to Miami. Yeah, it was a bit of a yeah, shock. Yeah, that's a shock. And then got into real estate down there, um, fixing and flipping, wholesaling, while I still had a full-time W-2 job. And um, then ended up was like, hey, I really don't like it down here. I'm gonna move closer to home Where's halfway. Still at the beach, cause I still wanted to live at the beach. I was like, Charleston's really pretty. You know, everyone has great things to say about it. So I moved there.
0: Lot to unpack. So yeah. you moved to Miami. Yep. And what are you doing for W2? Like, did you have a plan when you moved there for a job or was it just like, I'm just gonna land there and figure it out?
1: So I did a couple, uh, two different things while I was in Miami. Um, I actually worked alongside of a company called Stretch Zone, and they're like a um, assisted practitioner stretching kind of facility, kind of like a personal trainer for people post-physical therapy, Okay. right? Coming out of physical therapy, they need some continual stretching, stuff like that. Did that, but then I ended up working for uh, Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street.
0: What? I saw that on your Facebook. I was actually going to ask you about that. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I was one of his outside sales guys, and then um, just kind of did that for a while, so I was doing both of those things while getting into the the real estate side of things. Had no clue what I wanted to do with real estate, whether I wanted to be an agent, because that's always like the first way people get in, right? I'm going to become an agent. Right. Whether I wanted to wholesale or a fix or flip. And then I figured out about wholesaling because I was like, well, damn, I don't have enough money to flip right now. How do I do this? And I figured out about wholesaling. I was literally at home watching Facebook, like or YouTube videos, excuse me, not Facebook, YouTube videos, and saw... How to flip with no money. It's like total clickbait. It was like, <laughs> I think Chris Crone video or something like okay. that. I figured it out and it launched this thing inside of me. I'm like, oh my God, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. I had no clue what I was doing. Literally went to Zillow for sale by owners and just started pounding the phones. And I was so ignorant that I had no clue that every listing agent in Miami was also calling them. Every investor was also calling them. I thought I was like, oh, man, I found this sweet spot. I'm the only one calling these people. Right. And then, to my surprise, I wasn't. But I ended up getting a deal out of that. I ended up getting my first ever deal in West Palm Beach, Florida, um, out of that deal. was Anything I, I could have done wrong, I did wrong. I was driving 45 minutes each way from Miami, Florida to West Palm Beach, sometimes a couple of times a day to show this property to potential investors that were other wholesalers
0: (laughs) (laughs) looking back what do you think like why do you think that you got that first deal above all those other people so i mean especially in a market like miami it's so competitive yeah right south florida is just i mean i don't think people here in the low country even understand like no it's it's insane down there it's ruthless
1: to be honest with you it was my persistence and i think that really just stood out this this lady told me no probably six times and i just kept calling her back and I was just like, we've got to figure out a way to make a deal work. Because she was out of state, mismanaged tenants, property was going to crap. I felt with her. And after like the third call, she realized that I wasn't just trying to pull one over with with her. I was really, at the end of the day, trying to help her. But it had to make sense for me too. Right. So that's what really, I think, got me my first deal and many deals after that.
0: It's kind of interesting. Why do you think that she didn't, wasn't able to sell it on Zillow?
1: She had a price just insanely high. <laughs> she had a price insanely high, like, and I believed her pricing. So that's the first thing I did wrong. I believed her pricing, and then I found out really quickly, like little nuances, like waterways in Miami are pretty important. You know, comps don't transfer over waterways. Um, so I was like pulling comps from wrong neighborhoods and stuff like that. Which <laughs> so, I imagine
0: in Miami can be huge, spreads.
1: dude. Massive spread. Even street to street can sometimes be extremely crazy but especially waterways so anybody in florida watching this watch out for waterways (laughs) railroad tracks anything crazy like that it's gonna affect your pricing
0: how much did you make on that first deal what was the breakdown on it
1: it was like twenty seven hundred dollars hey that's not bad yeah it was twenty seven hundred dollars i remember dropping off this lady was pretty savvy she's like i want um a uh earnest money held i'm googling how to deposit earnest money man (laughs) And, uh, she, luckily she only wanted 500 bucks, but at the time I was like, man, this like, I remember depositing 500 bucks and being terrified. I was like, what if this doesn't work? I don't know if I'm getting it back or not. And I was terrified, man. So I was just like, but here we go. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to be a little, a little bitch. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> for my language. I'm not going to be a little bitch. I'm going to make this work. And it did work out, um, a little shaky. It was about, honestly, about 65 days from, time I signed with her till the disposition of the deal, but we got it done.
0: And then what'd you do with the money that you got from that sale? So, I mean, like, where you going? Would you, a lot of people I hear, they get that first deal, they go crazy.
1: Yeah, like, no, well luckily I, I would, in Miami, Florida, that would only got you so far. that would have been <laughs> like a night and a half, but uh, no, man, I was pretending like it didn't exist. You know, I've always been pretty frugal. I'm always a big believer of living below your means. Um, trying really hard to live off 25 to 30 percent of your income um, and getting to that point so i literally reinvested it I, I started buying courses or not courses but books at this point and just like paying for a little bit of knowledge and I knew I was like i'm gonna i'm gonna keep this money and just reinvesting it until I really got to where I wanted because I wasn't gonna quit like I, I was so sick and tired of the nine to five um, trap and I was like i gotta get out of this this is not me this is not my future I can't
0: do it where do you think that desire comes from? Is it like genetic, or is it something you've kind of like curated over time?
1: Man, you know, like that's, that's a good question. So, I mean, my family is fairly entrepreneurial. Like my uncle started a massive tech company in Nova. My dad had his own practice; he was a physician. Um, so, like and my my sister, she has her own graphic design business. So, I think some of that is kind of ingrained. Uh, but I just I just knew people who had worked. 9 to 5 careers even in big big companies that have great programs and great benefits that were miserable they're just like i hate my freaking life and i can't wait till i retire and i hope that i live long enough after that to to really enjoy it and i was just like i'm not doing that that's just not me
0: it seems like that's like a reoccurring theme in the, in this community right in the entrepreneurship community yeah. and especially in real estate is like i don't want to be like those people i knew who had 9 to 5s their whole lives and are like yeah I, with regret. yeah I can't do it i can't do
1: i cannot I cannot go to bed at night knowing that there's a possibility I might be 60 years old and be like, well, I worked really hard for 30 years for someone else. And now I finally get to enjoy my life um, to for a little bit, you know.
0: And so you knew that from a pretty young age?
1: I knew that when I got out of the military. I was in the military. I got out. I was uh, 20. And because I went in writing when I was 18. Got out. I was 20. I knew when I got out that nine to five life wasn't for me it was just like it wasn't going to work and I, I i still did some stuff because you know, you have to pay your bills right well uh, our family had a small chain of gyms up in northern virginia uh, we had like fourteen thousand members at one point and i was managing those facilities um, and then when i got out of that i knew and this is when i moved to miami when i got out of that i was like whatever i do in the future from this point forward is going to Enable me to step out of this lifestyle, the nine to five, and if I have to live a really, really crappy lifestyle for a while and kind of be scrambling, I'm okay with that.
0: So once you get done with, so what was the transition then from Miami to Charleston? What did all that look like? How many deals did you do in Miami, and then when did you move, and why did you move? Did two deals in
1: Miami. Um, tried to do a lot more, but it's savage down there, dude. I had people like I would contract a deal in Miami i'd shop it out to find a buyer right and then i would have people knocking on the buyer's door saying if you sign with me today i'll give you five thousand dollars more and it's like jesus is this is how it is all the time like this is crazy
0: no honor among yeah wholesalers <laughs> no none, none whatsoever
1: <laughs> um so i did two in miami um You know, my parents, they still live in Northern Virginia. I was like, Hey man, I need to be a little bit closer to them. And I'm not really vibing that well in Miami. I'm not materialistic. I'm wearing a hat. Yeah. This is who I am. I'm not materialistic. Um, so I'm going to move to Charleston, moved to Charleston. And when I got there, I was like, well, I need to still do what I'm doing, but I need to learn the market. I was like, it's very important that I don't make the same mistakes I, I did in Miami by not knowing the market here in Charleston. So I joined up with a real estate team with Keller Williams It wasn't licensed, so I had to start off as an inside sales agent making, you know, four or five hundred phone calls a day to set listing appointments, which is, if anyone's ever done that, it's a crappy job. Um, But it built a lot of character, I would say. And I was working on getting my real estate license. And then while I was doing that, I was actively looking in the community of investing because I knew at the end of the day, I didn't want to be a retail agent. I wanted to be on the investment side because it's going to grant you the freedoms that you want. Um, and I ended up meeting my now business partner, Brian, um, he was looking for an acquisitions guy and he had done, I think at this point, probably eight deals, seven to eight deals. And he was actively marketing and he was looking for an acquisitions guy. So I was like, Hey man, listen, I'm not really looking for a job, but if you give me a stack of leagues, I'll call them for free. And if I don't produce anything, you know, whatever, just pay, if if I produce something, pay me a split on there. But if I don't produce anything, then, you know, we'll call it a day. We'll part ways. And we're like, let's just do this for 90 days, right? See how it works. Well, 90 days now has turned into just about two years. Um, and now we're doing, you know, 60, 70 deals a year in, in a couple different states and and have a 40-unit apartment building in Texas together. So it's crazy how how stuff can change.
0: That's crazy growth. Um so what was your thinking then behind, like, as soon as you met him, did you just know, like, I, I got to be on this, this guy's team? Like, I got to be working with this guy?
1: Not really. Yeah, not really. Um, I was just like, you know, this is an opportunity. He's doing deals. He's got something that I don't know, marketing. I didn't I had no idea about the marketing side of things, the texting, the cold calling, how to pull data. No clue. I was doing old school stuff. And I, he had that. So I was like, all right, cool, let me give it a shot. So I've, I vividly remember the first day we started together, I had quit Keller Williams because I was like, well, I can't do both. So I was like, I quit Keller Williams. You just quit on a dime. Yep, I gave notice. I just quit. I was like, I'm done. I really appreciate it, but I've got to pursue this. And uh, knew that that opportunity probably wasn't going to reopen. The broker I was working for, he's a really great guy, but he's probably not going to take you back a second time. Right. Especially if you hadn't produced. So day one. Uh, with Brian I show up to his house it's a small house in Charleston he's sharing it with four other guys Uh, and we are at his kitchen table and he's got his leagues and they're on a notebook and I'm like all right so what's the systems that we got there is no systems (laughs) it's this this these are our leagues so we're calling out of a notebook and we did that for a while and then we moved we got fancy we moved to Excel Sheets. And then we move from that to uh, CRMs, but it's. (laughs) I always so I tell that story to a lot of people. They're like, "Well, I need this CRM. I need this dialer." No, you don't. We did fifteen deals out of a notebook. Um, Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit of that transferred into an Excel sheet, but
0: most of them out of a notebook. And what was so he was just pulling lists off like list source and then just writing them down into. Notebooks.
1: He so he would pull the data and then he would literally just have it up on his computer and he was like writing down people who told them yes they would want an offer.
0: Like, okay, so he's calling them off the computer and then just writing out like, Yeah, yeah uh, okay, yeah, yeah. That would take forever. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> like guess <was> ten <laughs> thousand. notebook, dude. Just a uh, print, like <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but like
1: all the hot leagues were in a notebook, and we're going back and forth. call notes notebook uh, renovation budgets. In the notebook, like, the whole thing.
0: And so that notebook was really important. It is. Like, don't lose it.
1: Don't lose the notebook. It <laughs> could be a story, right? could be a book.
0: Right? Uh, do you guys still have that?
1: I think he still has it.
0: I was going to say, yeah. that's actually really cool. you got to, like, mount that on the wall or something. Yeah, he,
1: right? should. Uh, he should. He we, should. We should still have it. It's a good question.
0: Um, So kind of something that you touched on there that I think that I see all the time, you hear all the time in guys that are successful, which is that you put your back up against the wall, yeah. right? like. You're at a moment where it's like, either I can keep doing this and maybe, I don't know if, maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you saw like, I could just continue down this journey. I'm going to end up being like an agent and mm-hmm. then, you know what I mean? Who knows? I get sucked in the trap or right now I put my foot down, I quit, put my back up against the wall yeah. and we're going to make this happen.
1: 100%. Like, because the retail brokerage I was working at, there was wildly successful people there. One of the listing agents there was making, you know, netting about $300,000, two, to $300,000 a year. So it wasn't something like it was uh, an amateur operation. Right. But I knew I was like, well, $300,000 a year is great, but I can make a whole hell of a lot more than that doing flips if I scale it and I'm going to have freedom. This guy's killing himself, you know. Yeah. So literally killing himself to do that. And um, and he's also putting a lot of money in the, in the broker's pocket as well. Uh, granted, the broker is paying for a lot of the leagues he's using, so not discrediting that it's, it's reasonable, but still, I that's still almost like a nine to five.
0: Yeah, I actually just like I bought a car from uh, a local car place anyway, and the lady there was like, Oh, you see that guy over there in the corner? That's the number one sales agent. She's like, He makes like a hundred and eighty thousand a year. Yeah. I said, I said, Oh, yeah, how long is he here? She goes, He's here for like 14 hours a day exactly. seven days a week yeah Yeah, that sounds great how sustainable is that you know exactly um he's probably what in his 20s
1: early 20s yeah he didn't look that that. old yeah
0: yeah yeah uh so what then accounted for that rapid growth i mean you don't hear a lot of guys starting two years ago on their eighth deal and now you're doing 70 a year yeah, so the
1: first year working together, Brian and I did uh, 30, I think it was 34, or 36 deals total. And that was just like we had started to figure out what we had done wrong in the past on, on previous deals. We had gotten connected in some communities of networks uh, of investors and uh, was starting to get more organized. So profitability started to go up a little bit too. And we could handle more. You know, We could manage three, four, five deals at a time. But then we really just started saying, hey, there's a better way. Let's pay for my education. And we joined a mastermind. And this mastermind was pretty expensive. It was, I think, 30, no, at the time it was 24000 It's now 30000 a year. So we're like, well, here we go. Kind of like another thing. Let's, let's put this money out and hope we get it back. And we were in rooms with people doing 400 flips a year. And we just talked to them and, and borrowed their knowledge, right? And then we just got that knowledge and we put it into place. And I think at the end of the day, too, it gives you, you're buying confidence, too. Because we could have probably done all that, but we weren't confident enough in us to do that. So you're borrowing and buying that confidence in addition to the knowledge. And that's where it really just skyrocketed. Um, in addition to us changing our exit strategy a bit, too. Like, we do not we do not fully flip. We wholetail, um, which anybody watching this isn't familiar with that, what that is. It's a watered-down version of a flip we buy it for a discount we uh, lightly lipstick on a pig renovate it and we put it back out there as is for another investor and it's a quicker turn time
0: in the beginning it was that were those wholesales in the beginning or in were the, they flips they were flips okay yeah they were full flips and how so let's walk through what what was the breakdown how were you guys able to fund that kind of, you know in the beginning fund the flips I think
1: the first one Brian ever did on his own he put on a credit card Okay. I'm pretty sure you put most of it on a credit card, <laughs> um, but we were able to form uh, connections with hard money lenders in the in the beginning, and we just really treated those relationships very seriously and um, edified how important they were to us, and that got us really favorable terms over, over time. So really fortunate for, for those who took a chance on us in the beginning of, uh, of those lender relationships, or we wouldn't be here today,
0: you know? Right. It sounds like a lot of your success then is kind of wrapped up in, in just who, you know, like you're right. If you hadn't gone mm-hmm. to those whole, those real estate meetups, you'd have never met your partner. And yeah. then you guys just start talking to these lenders, networking with all these lenders. And yeah. now you're saying like, that's been another huge part of your success. It's
1: cliche to say, but, uh, your network is your net worth at the end of the day. And you know, I, whenever I run into a tricky situation, I know I can pick up the phone and in my, in, in my contact list of people, Someone has the answer to my question. So uh, it is really important to be known. You don't have to be the best. You just have to be the best known. And obscurity kills all. If no one knows who you are or what you do, you will not win.
0: It's like the Grant Cardone thing. Like the pro- Your problem is no one knows who the F you are, see, right? like,
1: Dude, marketing is senior to sales. Like People are stressed out about what am I going to say to a seller when they pick up the phone? I don't know who's your seller. Well, I don't have one dude <laughs> <laughs> right like
0: that's the biggest problem that you have right yeah that's like... your
1: problem bro it's swing the bat It'll, you'll figure it out i promise
0: right what do you think has been your biggest challenge doing go through all this scaling scaling is incredibly
1: hard finding the right talent um finding those right people the right seeks and moving fully virtual because you know we don't go to any of the, the properties we we're fully virtual operation That was much more difficult than I
0: expected. So in the beginning, you were going to the properties. We were. And then what was the decision-making process behind not doing that anymore? Like, why did you guys?
1: I remember, dude, I remember clearly it was just like I was stuck in traffic for an hour and I had like three appointments. And I started tallying up the hours I'm driving to and from seller appointments, maybe to not get a contract. Or maybe I'm driving there to literally walk the property with the contractor who already knows what to do. Um, we're like, this is stupid. Let's just do this all fully virtual. And then COVID really forced us to, when people were like, you can't come at my house, you might have the virus. I'm like, I'll send you something via DocuSign. And people were like, okay. I'm like, this is the way, like, it was like an <laughs> uh, aha moment. So we started using DocuSign, you know, we developed SOPs for our contractors. We always use this flooring. We always use this cabinetry. We always use this countertops, etc. That way there was never never any question. They might call and be like, hey man, do you want to take out this wall or something? But they knew what to do when they got in there.
0: So on the, did you guys know anybody who did it virtually before?
1: Uh, Not really. (laughs) So it was just like
0: a figuring it out. Like what resources were you using?
1: So um, a lot of just trial and error, to be quite honest with you. Like, we, so we did know a few people that were doing some operations fully virtual, but they still had books in the ground in, that, in those markets. We Our first deal in Tennessee, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, we knew nobody. like We didn't have books on the ground. We were on, uh, what is that platform, Thumbtack or um, something like that where you can find independent contractors. And we had photographers, like we were hiring them off this platform to go take pictures of the property to make sure that the seller wasn't lying to us Um to make sure we can confirm the condition and then we ended up selling that deal to an institutional buyer offer pad okay and um they helped out with that kind of boots on the ground process as well so there's tons of people you can leverage in markets so for that reason i tell people to you know
0: go wide i've never i, I keep seeing that the offer pad thing is growing is, is offer pad in charleston they're not or anything like that no the
1: no, eye buyers are scared to death of charleston because everything floods so they don't they don't like that. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a good point, I guess, but it seems like I know in a lot of bigger markets, especially the guys I know in Atlanta and Charlotte, like that has really been taken off.
1: It's a really good disposition strategy. It really is. Now, one thing I will say is in this market, I think you can make a lot more money putting it on the market, but they still pay top dollar. They will pay top dollar. They will try to come back with you on some crazy repair credits, uh, we got one back for like $50,000 and we were like, that's not happening. And then they reduced it to 10, like just like that. So, but it's, it's easy, you know?
0: Right. Um, what was the transition from going just in Charleston to outside of Charleston? So what pushed you guys to, to make that transition?
1: We knew, you know, we knew we were only capped. We, we had two options, right? We could spend more money in Charleston and try to get more market share. Or we could take our odds and go to a different market. And we were already doing like 30 deals a year in Charleston. So we're like, well, what is the cap? Like how many deals can we do? 100 deals a year here? Is that even possible? And we started looking at other big players in the space. And they were were right where we were at. Probably spending twice what we were spending. It was just undirected. So we were like, well, screw it. Let's try. And we went to Tampa, Florida. First market we ever tried went to Tampa, Florida. Got our teeth kicked in. Like (laughs) most competitive market probably out there other than Miami. Got our teeth kicked in. Pulled out of there, and then we started getting smart about how to look at data. We weren't just like pulling a list and hoping it works. Like, we started really getting into uh, uh, data science, if you will, of really refining that and not just pulling stuff just to pull it, only pulling lists that have folks on there that would otherwise have some form of motivation to sell for a discount.
0: Which, how did you figure out? Like, I don't, I know you don't want to get like too specific with that, <laughs> but like, what. Resources did you use to figure that out?
1: So we um, we invested in a little bit of education uh, of a course, and uh, some of the parameters that you're looking for is like, well, what? I, just putting yourself in the seller's shoes, right? What would make me want to sell to somebody who calls me on the phone for a discount because it's convenient? And a lot of times it's a life event, right? So it could be death, uh, like a probate lead. It could be divorce. They could be going through a divorce or it could be distance, right? They could be in California trying to manage a property in, in Tampa, Florida, and their tenants haven't been paying rent for six months. They're probably so frustrated that they'll just give you the payoff. And we did a lot of that through COVID. And then we would offer the tenant cash or keys and get them out of there. And now it was a win, win, win.
0: Right. Um, what kind of things are you doing same thing. I know you don't want to give away too much, but, but I think that Get there's something then. that can be learned from the market in Charleston because it's so much more competitive than mm-hmm. it is here. Um, what kind of things do you think could translate from what you're learning about competing there to competing here? Does that make sense?
1: It does. Yeah. And I think it's about being smart with how you pull your, pull
0: your lists. Like you would say everything's about the list.
1: Everything's about a list because that's your lead indicator, right? Like if, if you start, if you reverse engineer to getting a deal, it all started at the beginning with pulling that contact record. So what I would tell people, if, if you've done deals, take a second, look at the last 10 deals or last three deals you did, and find out the commonalities of them. I promise you there is some. And then really paint, paint this avatar, right? This is my lead that I'm going after, and I'm not going to deviate from this lead, whether that's... a a divorce, like you're just really good at dealing with divorces. You just happen to be like Dr. Phil of real estate and you just go after that. I don't know, but there's a commonality.
0: As you've gone to different markets, have you found that the marketing strategy that uses that you use, um, is less or more effective? And you know what I'm trying to say? So like yeah, yeah. if, if, um, if you're killing it on yellow letters in Charleston, does that translate in Memphis or Nashville or to be honest with you? I, um,
1: couldn't tell you because we, we only use cold call and cold text. That's it. That's it. That's all we do. We have tried yellow letters. We've tried to bandit signs. We've tried, and we do a little PPC in Charleston, not a whole lot, but we found consistently that's the highest ROI on our spend. You know, our, one of our JV partners, um, he's been, he's up in the upstate like Greenville and Spartanburg, South Carolina. And um, he's been actively marketing with our marketing campaign that we pulled for him for 19 days. He has $120,000 worth of incoming profit from 19 days with the marketing on that list. So, and his ag spend, I forget the exact number, but I think it's like a 26x return on what he spent. So, I mean, I haven't found something better. Right. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's up with the, so you kind of skipped over, but so you, you have JVs up in, uh, Greenville.
1: Yeah, so we were like, we want, so Brian and I, let me back up. Let me, Um, we have JV partners, and the reason why we have JV partners is because we wanted to scale um, to different parts of the country, but knew that we would want operators there. So we were like, hey, we have a method that works. Let's pair up with folks. So we put it out there, had no idea whether it was going to work or not. We're like, we're offering three JV spots, you know. We're going to do interviews, make sure it's a good fit for you and I. And we were just, like, inundated. I think we had 27 or 28 inquiries and did interviews through them. And we picked three. So it's Orlando, Florida, the upper part of um, South Carolina. And then we also are up in northern, kind of the outskirts of northern Virginia area okay. as well. She just started yesterday. Um, and we're toying with the idea of uh, we do have one guy out in uh, Ohio, and then making him an official partner just because he's such a hustler. Like he's he, literally we locked up a deal together on the ride here, um, on the phone. So that's that's the method there, and you know they're using our exact strategy, the scripts, the marketing, our callers, and it's working out well for all of them. They've all got deals.
0: And what's kind of your structure on those? I don't know how much can. can
1: Yeah, I have no problem sharing. Yeah, basically they pay a barrier to entry fee just to make sure that they're serious. And then from there, um, we offer out our support, and if they need it, our capital. And then we usually do a split on the back end of that.
0: Okay. And yeah. so that is that, that kind of your scaling plan going yeah. forward as you? It, it will be. Yeah, it will be. Because you know, ultimately,
1: there's going to be attrition to these joint venture relationships. Eventually, it's going to come to a, a point in the road where they're going to be like, Hey guys, I really appreciate what you taught me, but I'm tired of paying you, you know, X amount of percent on every deal. I'm gonna go out on my own, and we can just refill those spots out, and you know, then we have you know great relationships all across the United States. But to counteract that too, I don't want to be that guy that has a hundred partners. Like I just don't want to. I want to keep it still small, intimate, because I really want to change those people's lives. Of whoever I bring on, I want to make sure that it's not just five deals here or there. I want them doing 40, 50 deals a, a year. And being able to really, really scale.
0: And how do you figure out through your search criteria who's gonna do that? Yeah, you know so, I mean, like what kind of things are you looking for?
1: So far it's been easy. So far it's been easy because I've kind of like distantly known some of the, the people that we did pick otherwise, but a lot of the people we didn't pick was because we didn't know whether they were BSing me or not. And I think that going forward, once we expand outside our sphere of influence, it's gonna come down to like like really doing a lot of due diligence on the operator. Uh, references like have you done production in the past? Maybe even a production like uh, limit. Is that me or you?
0: Dang, <laughs> yeah, My but bad. I thought I shut it off,
1: but yeah, that'll be something that we'll
0: have to figure out, you know. Um, so, in the beginning, we talked about how you knew from early on that you didn't want to do the nine to five because you didn't want to have all the regrets at the end. Is, Is would you say that that's your why?
1: Hmm, and that's a good question. I don't know that it's my underlying why. I just know like I am I'm, I'm 5 foot 9 on a good day. I'm not going to be a pro athlete and go out and make 2 million dollars. <laughs> I'm not going to go to school for 20 years and become a physician to make a half a million dollars a year. And I'm probably not going to be smart enough to create something wildly popular that's going to retire me for a long time. So the path of least resistance is real estate. And I want to make sure that at the end of the day, like I don't just get get taken care of like three, four, five generations are taken care of to the point where they would really have to screw something up big to not be taken care of.
0: I got you. So it's generational. It's definitely generational. Yeah.
1: For me, it's just and a little bit of this, you know, personal. Like I just want to look back when I'm like 40 or 50 years old and be like, hey, man, you went to college. Good for you. Like I didn't you know, Hey, it's working out pretty well for me (laughs) because, you know, going to school. Yeah. I don't know if it was like this for everybody watching, but I mean, they, they make it sound like you're going to be just a turd if you don't go to, if you don't go to college, right. If you don't get a degree, you're, you're just, you're you're not going to make it.
0: And I think that's a broken system. Do you think that coming from a family that's pretty uh, well accomplished do you feel like you have like a little bit of a chip on your shoulder that you didn't go to college and like maybe like a little like I have to prove myself here? Or? No,
1: no, I'm glad I didn't go to college because uh. <laughs> yeah, it would have set me back. Right at the end of the day, it would have set me back. But I see what you're saying now. But maybe you yeah, know, maybe so. Yeah, I, I definitely have something to prove because I don't want to be the black sheep of the family. Right? Who's right. this? Like, what's Nate doing these days? Oh, he's a greeter at Walmart. You know, or something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, I definitely want. I definitely do have something to prove with that. And I just. I never want to let anybody down. And I know at the end of the day, you know, my mom and dad took really good care of me growing up and afforded me things that a lot of people didn't have. And I know that the tables are going to turn one day, and I just don't want to, you know, let anybody down.
0: Right. Be ready. I'm going to be ready.
1: Man. <laughs> I'm going to be ready. And too, when I have kids, I don't want them to be little assholes, but I also don't want to have to tell them no because I'm really sorry, buddy. I can't afford it. You know, that would that'd be the worst thing ever for me. I right. couldn't even imagine. I don't have kids. Even just saying that out loud, I, I have to, like, swallow really hard. Like, that would be the worst thing ever for me to say to my kid.
0: Yeah, which is interesting because, like, you probably so, – so coming from, like, a physician's family, you probably never – I mean, did you have to deal with that very much?
1: So this is a kind of a whole another story. We might need a sequel to this. <laughs> so uh, we grew up, you know, obviously uh, pretty, pretty well off. You know, I'm not going to lie. But um, my brother ended up running into a little bit of a drug and uh, alcohol addiction and uh, ended up pretty much spending my entire dad's retirement. Whoa. A couple million dollars gone like that. And uh, ended up going to federal prison and got indicted on a bunch of federal crimes. And then uh, got out and uh, started some gyms and is now doing really well for himself. But, uh, I mean, it was like here we were doing really well and then it was just like boom everything was gone like
0: the rug just pulled out literally yanked out hold our how old are you when that happened like six, six okay seven. dang yeah. so that like that was like right in the middle of your childhood yeah
1: i'm talking like real stuff like my dad my my brother like burning down my mom's flower shop to collect in bed, to collect insurance money to pay off debts from drug dealers kind of stuff Holy cow. I'm telling you, we might need a sequel to that. <laughs> but, but, yeah, man, so I saw uh, I saw the ups. I saw the downs. And I think seeing that made me a different person. You know, obviously, if we would have never went through that, my life today would probably be much different. But
0: Right, adversity shapes people. So that's kind of what I was getting at. I was like, yeah. you know, it's pretty rare... Well, I should be careful what I say, but like oftentimes, people that grew up grow up in like an affluent situation. Mm-hmm. They don't always have that drive, right? I mean, it's just a well-known it's true, fact, yeah, right? It's like, it's very true. Yeah. So that's what I was kind of kind of getting at the root of is like, yeah, you're you know you grew up in this situation and you're killing it. But obviously, hearing about the fact that you kind of went through that adversity, yeah. I mean, that obviously made you what you know the hustler of that.
1: Oh, man, it was real. And I just, I'm glad I hung on to that because, I mean, at six years old, you could look back and be like, you could, you could really not know what's going on. But I knew what was going on. I knew it wasn't something I wanted <laughs> to deal with. And um, and it was definitely life-shaping for me.
0: It's crazy, too. So your brother made, like, a full, like,
1: comeback, and now he's – He made a full comeback, yeah. He he got out. He got out of prison, and he started uh, as a janitor at Anytime Fitness, uh, 24-hour fitness facility. And um, ended up meeting, really kind of ironic, kind of similarity, ended up meeting what would be his uh, business partner later on in life. And they started uh, three gyms together that we all kind of managed as one big family. And we had 14,000 members at one point and uh, three facilities, about 120 staff members. And uh, ended up getting an offer to sell that out to a a large competitor. They were basically like, hey, we're going to come in here. We're going to take your business over one way or the other, like. You can sell it to us, or we're going to open up a, like a sixty thousand square foot facility down the street. So <laughs>
0: it's like tell, a no brainer. Yeah. Like, okay. Cool.
1: <laughs> there you go. And then, um, yeah, I mean, now he's he's living in L.A. and uh, he, he's uh, he's actually also he's still working for Jordan Belfort. He's his right hand man. He's uh, director of sales for Jordan Belfort.
0: So like they're like close.
1: Yeah, like travels and speaks with them uh, like over in Amsterdam and uh, Italy and stuff like that. So what yeah was that
0: your in with jordan Belfort? was your brother
1: so kind of so he was funny he still made me go through the interview process he's like hey man i'm uh, i can't get you the job but if you think that you're a good fit you know let's let's go after it and do it so but uh yeah definitely was how it came on my radar
0: what was it like working there because i know a lot of people are going to be you know i mean all the craze around (laughs) entrepreneurship and jordan Belfort. yeah
1: i mean so i mean jordan's he's a great guy um you know, I was remote, so their headquarters is based out of Beverly Hills, uh, Beverly Hills, and I was living in Florida, so I was remote. But I mean, still the interactives on the team was still really cool, and it's, I mean, it's definitely a high paced uh, work environment. You know, they're they're hustlers; they're making a lot of calls, and it's cool to be. You know, I was calling companies to sell his sales training platform, and you get one of two reactions when you say, "Hey, this is Nate from Jordan Belfort's office calling." It's either wait really like like the wolf of wall street or it's like i'll never do business with you that guy's a crook and they hang up on you like there's no in between
0: (laughs) um how much do you think that's translated to what you do now like how often are you drawing off that i imagine
1: yeah i think it helps i think just the sales training obviously helps i mean of course, I'm not calling somebody and whispering to them on the phone about selling their house, <laughs> but I think that training staff members that that trains lakes and I think the grit of just getting through rejection as a whole, um, making those phone calls undoubtedly helps. You know, that's where a lot of people quit is they like they make up four phone calls to a lead and they're like, oh, they never called me back, they're not interested. How do you know? You never even talked to them.
0: Right. How many times are you generally calling somebody?
1: Man, I a lot. Yeah, like, a lot.
0: Even if they say no, you still call.
1: I do. Yeah, I still call. I still call. It. It's not going to be like the same approach. It might be a thirty days because situations change. I we contracted a deal, um, and and got a deal done. We had been talking to this guy since two thousand and eighteen. or Sorry, two thousand nineteen, and we sold it in May of this year, and we contracted in May. So I'm talking oh, long term follow up.
0: Right. How are you like approaching that second conversation? Like, just between me and you, like, yeah. I mean, um, it's,
1: it's literally a casual conversation. Uh, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, hey, Josh, how you been, man? I was just thinking about, yeah, I was over on one, I was over on Main Street, saw your house, realized I hadn't followed up with you for a while. You know, how's things going?
0: And they never get weirded out. They're not like, yo, like, I told you no last month.
1: And they'll, they'll tell me, like, well, man, I told you no about the house. That's fine. That's, I'm not calling about the house, Josh. I'm not calling about the house. We're hey, just calling to talk. Just calling to talk. Just out of curiosity, you know anybody that might be interested in selling their house? Be happy to talk to them. Pay you a referral fee.
0: How long is your average phone conversation doing that? Like that strategy?
1: Like four to five minutes. Okay, It's like super super. I mean, some people though. I mean, you, you get a an older older guy. That's or older what I am saying. Lady, I'm you like, can waste like some well, time. Well, Susie went on her uh, her soccer appointment, her soccer tour today. <laughs> and, I mean, sometimes you got to cut it off, right? You are like, hey, I am really sorry, I, I got another call coming in. I just want to check on you. I'll keep you, I'll give you a call about a all. Fair enough. And it works out.
0: Yeah. I'm just, I was just thinking, cause like, I think that a lot of people that do this, they don't do well with getting the no, right? They'll never call that person again. You get a yeah, no, yeah. you'll never call them again. But I'm thinking like, as you talk and putting all the pieces together, a lot of it might be that you're confident in your lists, right? Dude, like yeah. if you were just like blanket, te- blanket marketing, maybe you wouldn't be so confident in calling no. that person back. And
1: I was always in to circle background. It's like, for anyone watching this, if you aren't refining your lists and they tell you no three times that they want full retail market, it's probably just not a good strategy for a fix and flip. You are gonna piss them off. But my our lists are pretty refined that they're eventually probably gonna have some level of distress, and they eventually it will be a good fit. Or we can call them and say, hey, you know, listen, I know you told me no three times about a fix and flip. Just out of curiosity, if I give you the list, the asking price you're asking for. Would you agree on terms? And then you just stop talking and they're going to be like, well, it's terms. And then you pick them a subject to route.
0: Okay. So do you guys do a lot of creative stuff?
1: We do try to. Yeah. We try to squeeze all the juice out of our list that we can, you know, to the point where you know, I'm a licensed real estate agent. No to the flip. No to the subject to. Let me list it for you. you okay. Know, let me list it for you. I'll tell you what, Josh, if you don't like the results that you get on the open market in 30 days, I'll pull it back down. We'll revisit the cash offer.
0: Like, you're just providing them options. Have you ever had any trouble marketing because you have your license? Like, have it's, you ever run into, like, any kind of, like, weird gray?
1: No, it's, it's always helped me. Always. Because I'm always full disclosure about it, too. Most people, honestly, when you call them, and they're, like, doing their own due diligence on you because they will. Like, yeah, I'm a licensed real estate agent. Here's my license number. You know, check it out on the LLR website. And they're like, okay, this guy's at least somewhat reputable and he's not a total scumbag he passed the background check to get a license you know right so
0: and then you just provide them options
1: and then you just option sale the whole thing it's like if this road if this road doesn't work i'm going this one this one doesn't work i'm going this one Uh, but a lot of people get in trouble with that because they try to unload all those options in the beginning and then they can't even make a decision they're like i don't know (laughs) right i don't know and then they never make a decision
0: I know some realtors well, I know people on both sides of the aisle, but uh, you know, some investors I say, No, you never want your license because yeah, yeah. the second you say that you're licensed, like they're gonna go. Yeah. Or or if that. you don't give them the best advice then technically you're like in breach of
1: I have heard all those things. I've never had and to my point too, like in in Charleston, I can list my own flips. I'm saving three percent off the rip there. If I'm doing a deal outside of Charleston, I can get a referral fee. And if it's my own lead, I can say, hey, man, it's my own lead. It's 35% referral fee. You're not going to get the listing. So the money that you get back off of it is totally worth having it.
0: As you scale in these other markets, how are you – because you you're not licensed on all these places. Mm-hmm. So are your JV partners like – do you plan on licensing them or – That's the long-term move. Okay. Yeah, short-term move, I'm
1: calling uh, either local people I know in the area like, hey – for the interim, can you just hook us up with a flat fee listing, maybe a thousand dollars, and we'll thousand dollars a list. I'll take all the phone calls to negotiate, um, and then I'll I'll compensate the buy side two and a half percent.
0: Okay. Yeah. So just giving incentives to local, mm-hmm. and just trying to build off that. Yeah,
1: but long term, we're definitely gonna get all, we're going to get all the partners licensed that way they can list everything.
0: Okay, that's awesome. Um, let me ask you this: How are you continuing your education? What resources are you using? What people are you listening to? Books, YouTube channels? Like, what are you doing? So,
1: um, a couple different ways. We're a big fan of masterminds, like higher level ones now, because um, we, we got spoiled. So, we were in Tim Brox's mastermind. If you've never followed Tim Brox, he's pretty good at uh, commercial real estate. Pretty he's got like 4,000 units yeah. uh, under his belt. And he's 34, 35. Yeah, he's young. Yeah. He's pretty young. Yeah. It's also like basically my neighbor. So, I have to say good things about him. Wait, really? Yeah, he lives, in, he lives in Charleston.
0: I thought he was based out of Cleveland.
1: So he's, He does have a home in Cleveland, uh, but he's fully moved to the beaches of Charleston. Okay. His family really loves it. I'm pretty sure he's not miserable either. But Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we joined that mastermind. That was great. He got a lot, a lot of knowledge out of that. And then we've elected not to renew that one just because we want to try something else. Um, still keep in contact with a lot of the folks in that mastermind. But now we're a member of Mark Evans. Uh, DM Alliance mastermind, if anyone's ever heard of Mark Evans, he's superstar in multiple different spaces, real estate, e-commerce, and just building businesses, period. Um, so those are the two mentors, I would say major mentors in, that I have in my life. And then also I, I listen to podcasts and um, this kind of self, I try to always read, I try to always be attentive on reading I usually do better with audio because I'm like borderline ADD, so it's like I read like two paragraphs and I'm over here looking at a bird or something. Right. So I try to do better with uh with uh books.
0: Have you um? It, what's like the book that you would recommend to anybody, but you can't choose Rich Dad Poor Dad, and you also can't choose The E Myth. Uh.
1: if you, would have, if, if you would even choose those. No, I hate it. Yeah. Uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Okay. Would be like, no matter what industry you're in. That's going to, you're going to get something out of it. That's a book that I'll pick up and reread. I've probably read that book 10 times. Oh, I should say,
0: audible books count. Like you would still choose that book? I would still choose that book. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I still would.
1: (laughs) I I think that um, if I were to pick anything else, like maybe Atomic Habits, I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. I, I mean, that's a really good book, especially for a lot of people in today like today entrepreneurship there's so much noise it's like you can end up at the end of your day totally exhausted and you're like you look around you're like i literally got nothing done um so being intentional with your time is super super important
0: plus i think it goes back to we were talking about this before the show a little bit which is it's easy to get wrapped in up on other people's success right and the atomic oh, habits dude, kind yeah. of talks about just don't worry about that. Just worry about doing the right thing like every day, like these little tiny habits that just blow up, right? Like over it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. It doesn't matter what, you know, somebody doing a hundred deals a year is doing, you know, granted, you definitely want to pay attention to, to them and try to become, you know, in their sphere of influence, but coming down on yourself because you're not doing a hundred deals a year. What is that really going to do for you? It's not going to get you any closer to that. I can assure you that.
0: Right. I mean, and there's plenty of deals for everybody. We're all running our own race, right? Like with all those things. We
1: no up. reason to have a uh, you know, scarcity mindset. People are so afraid to share what they're doing. Like, And I, I kind of teeter out. Like when I first got into like getting on podcasts and talking publicly on my Facebook and stuff like that about what I was doing, I was like, well, man, like what if someone just recreates that? And it's, but what I found is, is even if I came on here and told people how to pull a list how to call them what to say and what to do it i guarantee you ten percent of the people watching this only ten percent would probably take action behind it intentional or action or less yeah. so it's just like it's not even a concern of mine anymore
0: be careful though my audience is a bunch of killers bro. i know yeah this might be a <laughs> this might be an anomaly <laughs> <laughs> um let me ask you what's cool what's what's your future plan so you're looking over the next couple of years like what are you thinking like are you going to keep pushing into multifamily more or expand on the JV thing you got going kind of what's your big next push?
1: I'm going to definitely, uh, definitely keep going on the JV route. Um, our next target is a hundred deals a year. You know, this hit that parameter and then we'll probably pick like two or 300 deals a year on the uh, single family and then, uh, just continue to grow. You know, definitely look at multifamily investment opportunities, uh, particularly value add, just because that's where the name of the game is. That's what our 40 unit in, in Texas is. And then um, tiptoe into different spaces, I would say. Yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued and about this close to pulling the trigger in e-com. Um, I think it's only going to get bigger. So,
0: What ways um, are you giving back? So one of the reoccurring themes that it seems like on the show is and talks about it in how many books, which is – if you give, you get. Excellent. Right, right. So a lot of people generosity is reciprocal. Yep. Um, what ways you're giving back? Any charities you want to shout out? Anything like that?
1: I haven't said anything about this to maybe I've probably said it to three people, but a goal of mine in the next six months is to be able to figure out a way and logistically speaking um, of how to give a house away for free okay to somebody in need whether that's a veteran somebody that's down on their luck with a family um that's gonna be it and then also this christmas i'm gonna pick a family and i'm gonna i'm gonna pay for their christmas
0: dang those are good ones like direct to consumer
1: direct to consumer man like i want to see you know where the money's going like i want to see that that cause and effect of relationship there and and uh, be a big part of that like cool it's not only from a a tax perspective is it cool to write a check to a foundation of your choice sure but i want to see like the result of it
0: right dave ramsey talks about that a little bit about like giving which um he says like if you ever want to like really instill in your kids how to do it like go to a waffle house on like christmas day because you know the people working in waffle house on christmas like need the money yeah man or else they wouldn't be there Park your car outside that window and just leave a tip for a thousand bucks. Yeah, and just go out and in your car and just wait to see what happens.
1: And that's the stuff that I want to do. I just wanna, I want to go and and like to a Waffle House and leave them. That's gonna make you feel like so much better about yourself. But imagine how they feel. Right. Like you're like, who the hell's it? Who's this guy? I just walked in here and dropped a G. For two waffles, <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. And I've heard people say before, like they give for selfish reasons because it makes them feel so good.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, is... no, that's me. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely a relationship based person. You know, like I, I, I care, I care a lot about our joint venture partners, and like, while the checks that we get from the proceeds are good, seeing them succeed and like, uh, one of the guys was able to quit his job because of our joint ventureship like that to me if nothing else happens in that relationship i'm good dang that works for me because he's got a family he's got a little kid
0: and you're like literally changing the trajectory of an entire family yeah in 19 well, like you guys are helping actually we're think. helping yeah. he's doing it yeah he's yeah, doing it he's yeah. doing it yeah. Yeah. um what advice would you give yourself if you could go back like day one you whenever you first started real estate what would you say to yourself don't be cheap
1: don't be cheap pay pay to play you know because it, it, it's going to motivate you I was just like I've got to hold on to this money like, I've got to hold on to it when in reality if I would have just paid for education I wouldn't have made half the mistakes I made and it would have paid off tenfold or, or better so pay to play don't be cheap but also be wise about who you pay there's a lot of gurus out there that are going to run you down this rabbit hole and you're not going to get anything so do your due diligence on that
0: all right man that seems like a good note to end on
1: i guess so and i appreciate
0: you having me buddy yeah man thanks for coming on uh
1: how can people find you so facebook uh nate hershberg on facebook nate hershberg on instagram i just got an instagram <laughs> and uh you know I, I can put my we can put our my email up in here yeah in i'll put summer. it in the show notes but yeah nate at ust properties dot com so you got any deals send them my way we'll look at them
0: you got it man thanks so much yeah thanks man take it easy Hey y'all. Thank you so much for listening this week. If uh, you want to show some support, please head on over to mpgpodcast.com. Check out the awesome merch we have on there. Um, And also subscribe and comment wherever you listen to this. Uh, That does huge things for pushing us up on the algorithm, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, whatever it is, whatever platform you use go right now go subscribe go comment help push us up and also please share us on your social media um, the more listens we get the more i can bring uh more guests i can bring in the more value i can bring you guys so thanks so much it's a total team effort i appreciate all the support and uh hope you all have a great week see you guys next week